please open your device, find your app, and open it to John chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be looking at this story, and what I really want us to do, I want us to go back and pick up where we left off in this story of the woman at the well. If you haven't been with us on Sunday mornings for some time now, we've been walking through the Gospel of John. Last Sunday, we skipped forward and we looked at a story over in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Now we're going to go back to where we left off before, but we've been talking about getting to know Jesus, believe, and live. You know, that is God's desire for every single person that they would know who Jesus Christ is, and as a result of knowing who Jesus Christ is, that they would believe on Him and that they would experience life to the fullest. That is God's great desire for all of mankind. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God created mankind to have a relationship with Him. That is God's desire. That's the purpose that we have been created. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us that God has placed eternity in the heart of every single person. And the reason I believe it is there is because we have all been created in the image and the likeness of God. God created us to live for an eternity. Now, eventually what's going to happen is we're going to shed this old body. Isn't that true? The statistics on death are pretty amazing. One out of one dies. Isn't that true? Yes. That is reality. I mean, we live in that world. One out of one dies. There's no way to escape death. But I would tell you on the other side of death, there's something even greater than that if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my prayer today is that you will come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would give your heart and your life to Him, and that you might experience this life that Jesus Christ offers to everyone. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You've not really experienced life until you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in this life, you have taken off the blinders, and now you can see truly what life is all about. Amen? Wouldn't you agree with that today? Yes, that's the reason why Jesus Christ came, and that is God's great desire for us. Now listen, if God's desire is for everyone to know Jesus Christ, to believe on Him, and to experience life to the fullest, as a result of that happening in our life, you know what begins the, one of the great desires that takes place in our heart and life now? Once we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, one of the great desires of our heart is this, to worship Him. To worship Him. To ascribe worth and value to who He is and to what He has done in our lives. I don't know about you, but the pinnacle of every week for me is today. When I can come together with God's people around God's Word and sing and worship Jesus Christ for who He is and what He has done in my life. 
as I move towards Sunday, there is an excitement that begins to build in my heart and life. I look forward to seeing you. I look forward to worshiping with you. I look forward to preaching and teaching God and us just learning from God's Word about who He is and what He desires of our lives. Since worship should be the desire of every believer's heart, then we must ask ourselves the question, what is true biblical worship? What does God's Word teach about worship? Well, sometimes I think the best way to understand something is by understanding what it is not. So this morning, I want to start this message by sharing with you four misconceptions that people have about worship. And then what we're going to do is we're going to allow God's Word to guide us in a good, solid, biblical understanding of what worship is. I mean, think about it for a moment. If this is the guide for our lives... Where should we look to understand something that's so significant in our life? We shouldn't allow the world to determine what we believe about worship. We should allow God's Word to guide us and direct us in our understanding of worship. Can you agree with me on that this morning as God's church? We need to be biblically sound when it comes to, God, to worshiping the Lord. So let me give you four misconceptions. You may want to write them down. I'm going to go through them quickly. And then I want to give you three biblical truths concerning worship, true biblical worship this morning. Number one, worship is not about a style of music or what musical instruments are used in the service. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Now let me clarify what I'm saying when I make that statement. Surely the songs that we sing on Sunday morning should point to who God is and are to glorify Him. But musical styles and types of instruments used in worship speak far more about individual preferences than biblical mandates. Can we agree on that? I don't know if y'all were here. The Sunday that Brother Andy broke out the harp. Were y'all here on that Sunday? No, he didn't. That's the reason I'm saying that. But we often see that used in worship in Scripture. If we're going to make that a biblical mandate, then what we need to do is we need to get a harp up here on the stage, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So I want us to clearly understand this morning, worship is not about a style of music or what musical instruments are used. Surely, what we sing should point to who God is and should glorify the Lord. We'd agree upon that, I hope. Number two, a second misconception. Worship is about a feeling. Worship is about a feeling. If I come to church and I leave with a warm, fuzzy feeling, I have truly worshipped God. That's not true. That is emotionalism. Surely, worship engages our emotions. I don't deny that at all. But, motion, but emotion alone is not an indicator of true biblical worship. Worship is born out of a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not based on feelings. That's important. 
Have you ever heard someone make the statement, well, you know, I went to church there, but really, I just don't feel like I get anything out of it, so I don't go there anymore. Oftentimes when I've heard people say that, what I really want to say is, well, maybe the problem is not what's going on in the church house. Maybe the problem is with you or with me. So worship is not about a feeling. Number two, I mean number three, misconception number three, worship is about how charismatic the leaders are. I've heard that. True worship doesn't focus on the music leader or the preacher. What a worship leader says needs to be rooted and grounded in God's Word, but true worship focuses on God. God and God alone is the object of our worship, not a personality. That's the reason why I think we have to be so very careful with doing special programs in God's church. Now, don't misunderstand me. Brother Andy and I met a long time about the purpose of the Christmas program. And when we met and talked about the purpose of the Christmas program, it wasn't to show off all of the talents of our church. We have talented people here. Praise the Lord for that. But the Christmas program is not about entertaining people. It's about making Jesus Christ known to a lost and dying world. It's about lifting up Jesus Christ, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. That is what worship is all about. It's not about being entertained. I fear that's what's happened in American churches. We've made it more about the personality that stands in front of the church than the one who is seated on the throne above. And worship is about God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I thank the Lord for our choir, for Brother Andy, and all of our instrumentalists. God uses them to help enhance our worship spirits, pray, uh, worship experience. Praise the Lord for that. But our role is not to entertain you. I don't know if you realize, I'm sure you realize this. We live in a consumer-driven world, don't we? Yeah. That mentality bleeds over into God's church. I'm here to consume. How are you going to entertain me today? And that's not the meaning of worship. Number four, misconception number four. Worship is not about a label. Contemporary, traditional, charismatic, virtual reality, or some other term that is used to define worship. Nowhere in Scripture does God ever label worship with those terms. So we as God's people need to be careful not to label Something he doesn't. Surely we read a number of different adjectives describing worship. Worship should be joyful. Worship should be expressive. We read those things. But we need to be careful that worship doesn't become about a label. It's about the Lamb of God. And that's the reason why we gather here today. Now, if worship is none of those things, then we must ask ourselves the question, what is true biblical worship? 
Well, that's the question that Jesus Christ is going to answer for us in this story. This is, to me, is one of the most fascinating stories in all of God's Word. And the reason it is, there's a woman at a well, and she wants to debate God about worship. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that what she's doing? Jesus Christ is God in the human flesh. Now, I realize she doesn't understand Him, but she is going to, to debate God in the human flesh about what worship is. Hey, you Jews worship over there, we worship over here. Do you see that? Well, the thing is, is Jesus Christ is going to guide her in understanding what it truly means to worship Him. So what I want us to do, I want us to read this passage together, this story, beginning in verse 19. We're going to read through verse 19 to 26. We've already read the first part of the story several weeks ago when we looked at the woman at the well, and I preached a sermon about, Is There Hope for Me? But this morning, I want us to focus on verses 19 through 26. And I believe in this story or this portion of the story, this dialogue that happens between Jesus Christ and the woman at the well, I think we're going to learn some very important truths concerning worship. And then I want to conclude by offering you some, some, some practical suggestions that will help you in your worship or to grow in your worship today. So let's begin reading in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that you that but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people are to worship. Now let me just say, just stop here real quick. We need to understand that worship is not about a place. Do you see that in this text? Jesus clarifies for this woman. It doesn't matter if it's on that mountain. It doesn't matter if it's at Jerusalem. The place is not important as to whether or not you truly worship God. Now, I'm not opposed to meeting in a place. I thank God for the place that He's given us here at Crestwood that enables us to come together as God's people and to worship Him on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord for that. I'm grateful for that. But I would tell you this. If we went down to the city park of Lumberton, we would be just as much God's church and we could worship there just as much as we can worship in this building today. That is the truth of God's Word. Worship is not defined by a place is what Jesus Christ is saying in this text. Now listen to what He's going to say. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, I want us to stop right there because I think it's important for us to understand exactly what it is that Jesus Christ is saying. He's not saying that salvation is only for the Jewish people. I don't want you to read that and get that from this text. As a matter of fact, I think what the Apostle Paul says in Romans, the first chapter and the 16th verse, brings clarification. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. What Jesus Christ is saying here is this. Salvation came through the Jewish people to the world. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ was a Jew, born of a Jewish family. Do you remember the great promise that God made to Abraham 
Abraham, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Out of Abraham came the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, and out of Israel came who? Jesus Christ, the Messiah to the Jewish people. It is through Jesus Christ that salvation has come into the world. Now I want you to go back and I want you to listen to what he says here. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. I believe it's in that verse that we see this very, this first very important truth about true biblical worship. Here it is. True biblical worship is based in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let me say that again. True biblical worship is based in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now for many of us that probably seems like a given. But if you would have asked this woman if she truly was worshiping God, you know what she would have said? She would have said, oh yes, I'm truly worshiping God. But what did Jesus Christ say to this woman? You worship what you do not know. I have thought about the statement of Jesus Christ a lot over this week. With the decline of worship attendance in the American church, is it possible that this is one of the major reasons people no longer want to worship God on Sundays? They are seeking to worship who they do not know. I fear for a number of people on church rolls, worship has become nothing more than simply going through a hollow, meaningless religious ritual in their lives. Jesus identified the major problem in this woman's life. She was attempting to worship someone she did not know. The key to true worship is knowing the one that you seek to worship. Otherwise, it is meaningless. It has no meaning in your life. Now, you know a lot about me as your pastor. One of the things that I cringe at is when churches develop seeker-sensitive worship services. You know that's an oxymoron. You know that, right? A seeker can never worship someone they do not know. But that's what we've done in America because we had the consumer-driven mentality and we want to seek to try to reach the world. We think we've got to become like the world in order to reach the world. And so what we do is we believe that we are more intelligent than God and then we begin to focus on seeker-sensitive people rather than focusing on God. And we develop our whole worship service around that premise. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I would love if all of the lost people of Lumberton filled this church every Sunday morning. But I will tell you this, what will draw them unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is not developing a worship service around them, but by them seeing God's church worship him and as we worship him that draws lost people unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ do you see what I'm saying 
My hope and desire is as someone who doesn't know Christ comes into this church that they look at us and they say, oh my goodness, I've got to have what those people have. There is something different about them. I want it. I want what they have. It is missing in my life and I've got to have what they've got. That's what draws people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw people unto me. I will draw people unto me. The key to true worship is knowing the one you seek to worship. Otherwise, it is meaningless. Number two, true biblical worship is my spirit connecting with God's Spirit. Now listen to what he says here. Let's go back and let's begin reading here in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Two different times Jesus Christ says to this woman, you got to worship in spirit. You got to worship on two different occasions in this story. First, Jesus told this woman, God is spirit. That means God does not have a material body, God is invisible to the human eye. He is spirit. Now get this, this is so good. Now because God is spirit and because we have been created in the image and the likeness of God, we too have a spirit that resides in our physical body. Haven't you seen that? You've read that before in Scripture. What does Paul keep saying about this body? It's just a tent. It's just a dwelling. One day you are going to lay it aside. Now this is what great, this is something great that happens in our life. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we are born again, it enables our spirit to connect with God's spirit. Do you remember what God's word teaches us? It said at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but when we trusted Jesus Christ, we were made alive to the things of God. This is what that means. When we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were made alive to worship God, to glorify our heavenly Father. At the very heart of worship is our spirit responding to God's spirit. That is worship. That is what worship is. And you know what? As long as you're dead in your spirit, you can't worship a living God. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, I want to pause right here because I want you to hear something that's very important, all right? To worship God in spirit, in part, is emotional. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, now, Pastor, you seem like you're contradicting yourself. Earlier, you said that worship is not based on emotion. And I did say that. Worship is not about pumping up the crowd with sentimental songs. It's not about working up crowd fervor. It's not about singing the same song 45 times with a hope that we'll get a response out of that. That is not worship. That is not biblical worship. 
But worship does involve our emotions. Now, I want you to hear me very carefully because this is where the world is missing true worship. Listen, genuine emotion from God for God stems from focusing on the truth of who God is and what Jesus Christ did at the cross for us. That is true godly emotion. If your worship never touches your emotion, something is wrong. It is meaningless in your life. Now let me illustrate it like this. You men will fully understand what I'm fixing to say here. So listen to me real careful. My relationship with my wife is not built on feelings. Isn't that true, men? No, it's not. It's built upon a commitment to her. But when I think about all that she means to me, I feel love for her. And as a result, I express that love in some outward manner that shows her that I truly love her. Think about it, men. You ever bought your wife flowers? Yeah. You ever bought her a gift? It's an outward expression of the love that you feel for her. Isn't that true? Now get this. This is good. That's what it means to worship God in spirit. It is my spirit connecting with a holy God spirit. And when that happens, it will stir and move me to show my love for Him in praise and adoration. Do you see that? That is true worship. It's not acting crazy and falling out in the middle of an aisle and doing something that's completely and totally and utterly foolish. That is not biblical worship. That is not what it is. Godly emotion stems from us focusing on who God is and what Jesus Christ did at the cross for me. That is true Godly emotion. And you know what? When I focus on that, do you know what happens? It stirs and moves me inwardly to offer up to Him adoration and praise. Do you see what I'm saying? That's true biblical worship. True biblical worship is my spirit connecting with God's spirit. Number three. True biblical worship must be biblically accurate. Two times Jesus Christ said, True worshipers worship me in spirit and in truth. Now, if you're like me, you probably have heard people say this before. I like to think of God as. And then they fill in the blank with the ideal of the kind of God that they want to worship. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I've heard them say that. You know there's only one problem with that, right? That is idolatry. You're, fast, you're fashioning God after your own image of who you want Him to be. That's idolatry. True worship of God in truth is to worship God as He is revealed to us in Scripture. I worship God 
for who He truly is. I worship God for His grace, and I worship God for His mercy. I worship God for His sovereignty. I worship God for His righteousness. I worship God for His holiness. I worship God for His wrath. I worship God for who the God is that He gives to me, and I also worship Him for the God who takes away from me. I worship God as He has revealed Himself to me in Scripture. That is what true biblical worship is. Do you see that? True worshipers don't pick and choose what they like and dislike about God. True worship is based on the truth of Scripture, not our own personal opinions. That's not true worship. If it's based upon our own personal opinions. True worship must be accurate, based in God's Word. All right. So what does that mean for us this morning as God's people? Well, let me just quickly give you four suggestions that will help you to grow as a worshiper of God. We're going to be quick with these, all right? First, to truly worship God, you must know Jesus Christ. You can't worship who you do not know. I mean, that's the truth. Worship is based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me this morning, if you are a member here. If your worship seems hollow and empty in your life, you may need to start by examining yourself to see if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. One or two things has happened in your life. You have either gotten way off track in your relationship with the Lord and you need to come back to Him, or you never knew Jesus Christ to begin with. Number two, To worship corporately, there must be personal worship in your life. Corporate worship, what we do here on Sunday morning, is an overflow and an outflow of my personal worship. Don't expect to show up on Sunday morning and experience worship of God if there is no personal worship in your life Monday through Saturday. Maybe the problem is not with the pastor. Maybe the problem is not with the songs that are being sung. Maybe the problem needs to be you need to look at yourself inwardly to examine your heart, to see where you are. Corporate worship is, a, I mean, Corporate worship is an overflow of personal worship. Number three, prepare your heart Saturday night to worship with your spiritual family on Sunday morning. And that seems like a given, right? Now, I think I hear that I feel like I'm at a huge advantage here. You know, I made a decision a long time ago in my life that I would not be a part of social events on Saturday evening and night outside of church functions because that is the time that I get alone to be with God spiritually and prepare for Sunday morning. That's what I do. And this is the reason I do that. I want to preach out of the overflow of my spiritual life. That's what I want to do. Now, I'm not saying that you have to make that kind of decision in your life, but look at me right here. Everyone just look at me for a moment. If you stay out to 2 or 3 o'clock on Sunday morning, you try to come to worship on on Sunday morning at the church, just tell me exactly what you think you're going to get out of that. Not a whole lot, are you? If you're blurry-eyed and you can't see straight, you can't hold your head up, 
Do you really think you're going to get anything out of worship on that Sunday? Most likely not. Parents, let me say something to you. Years ago, my wife and I made a decision in our family. On, su- on Saturday evening, our children go to bed at 9.30. You know why they do that? Because I want them to be, I want them to be prepared to meet with God on Sunday morning. You say, oh, Brother Jeff, that's rigid. Listen, I am the spiritual leader of my family. And I want my children to come to church expecting to receive something from God on Sunday morning. I am to lead them spiritually, and I lead them spiritually by my actions, not by my words. Do you see what I'm saying? So as a result of that, I make deliberate choices to put my family in a place where I know that they will hear from God on Sunday morning. I want them to do that. I mean, you know you can do that, right, parents? I didn't know if you knew that or not, but you can. You can. Number four, last one. Make corporate worship a priority in your life. Now listen to me carefully. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir this morning because y'all are all here. I am convinced in our culture we have diminished the importance of corporate worship in the life of the believer. We treat corporate worship like any other event that happens during the week. And then we wonder why God is not doing a great and a mighty work among His people. Let me say this. God won't do a great and mighty work among His people until they take seriously what He values. It will not happen. And hear me carefully this morning, church. He values the worship of His people. He values it. When we value the things of the world and extracurricular activities on Sunday more than joining our spiritual family for corporate worship, don't expect God to move in a great and a mighty way in His church among His people. I'm sure I don't need to spell out extracurricular activity, do I? I'm just saying to you, read Scripture. I'm going to tell you the early church valued worship together as a body. You can't make it say anything else when you read it. They valued it. They valued it to the point where they met daily in the temple courts to worship God. Now, I'm not saying that's what we need to do. But what I'm saying is this. Please hear me. I say this out of love this morning. If you're too busy to worship God on Sunday morning with your spiritual family, you're too busy. You're way too busy. You're way too busy. The end goal of worship is to glorify God. And then... And only then will God be glorified among His people. Jesus Christ said, True worshipers worship me in spirit 
and in truth is what Jesus Christ said. Believers, what does your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ look like today? Do you know the one whom you seek to worship this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know God above. It is only through Christ that we can know the one true living God. Jesus said it very clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, that includes us, no one comes to the Father except through me. Please hear me this morning. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is only one path that leads to God. And that path is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and the way you've spoken truth into our hearts and our lives this morning. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that you would work in the hearts and the lives of people here today. Lord, that they would see who we are in relationship to who you are. Father, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day they would give their heart and their life to you. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Oh, Father, it's an urgent message because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Father, if there are Christians here this morning whose lives have gotten way off track, and worship has become hollow and meaningless in their life, I pray today would be the day that they look back to you, Lord Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of our faith, that they would be reminded afresh and anew of what you did at Calvary for them. Father, I pray that as a church, our worship would always be passionate for you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.